For this you will need one room which you will not leave, soothing music, tomato soup, ten tins of, mushroom soup, eight tins of, for consumption cold, ice cream, vanilla, one large tub of, magnesia, milk of, one bottle, paracetamol, mouthwash, vitamins, mineral water, said pornography. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 152, and the movie this week was 1996's Train Spotting. and joining me to talk about it, he'd seen it before, I had not, is Josh Monroe. Joosh, how you doing? Hey, pretty good. So originally we were going to do this a couple of weeks ago. You had a, you had something come up, and so we had to bump it, and that's fine. Um, but the funny thing was is that was going to be episode number 150, and at the time, <laughs> at the time I thought, oh, this is kind of this is kind of cool because this show was the genesis of this show was a, a conversation you and I had several years ago, right. And so I just thought it would have been it would have been really cool to have that 150th episode, that milestone one. We'll do it at 152. You know why? Because uh, we're here. And but I, I just wanted to say, like, it, it's really cool having you back on the show after a while. Um, and I love the fact that you know this whole thing started on a conversation you and I had. I think about Highlander actually. Um, yeah, <laughs> was the first movie that we had talked about, and then for whatever reasons came up and, and things morphed and, and it became what it is now. And, um, this is, I think the third or fourth time you've been on. Um, um I've been on several times. I get, I, I can remember hand. I mean, UHF was the last one, I think. That's um, right. Okay. I think, I think I that's a couple of Nick cages. Didn't I? Yes, that's right. No, I, what I'm thinking yeah. of is it's been a little while. Cause it's been a while. Oh, it's been yeah, a yeah. while since we did UHF. Um, but you mentioned while well, we got talking and you brought up train spotting, I had never seen it before. And it wasn't for any particular reason other than it just sort of didn't happen. And and it's weird in in so much as I love the cast and I am a fan of Danny Boyle films. Um mm. several of which I mean, I saw The Beach in theaters. I was one of like, I don't know, two dozen people that went and saw that in the theater. So Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one of those is like he makes really good movies. Just for some reason, I never saw this one. And uh, I got to tell you, it was um, it was an experience. Uh, <laughs> and it so, holds up from 96. It does. That's a, the surprise, probably the second most surprising thing um, for, uh, for me watching this was how well it holds up being a mid-90s uh, movie like that. What, what's kind of your history with it? When did you first see this movie? So what's interesting, okay, so what's interesting is um, I it must have been the summer of 97. It might have been 98. I don't know, but uh, my mom got remarried. We moved in with my stepfather and uh, we changed high schools and whatever. And one of my friends from high school, who I think I was only friends with for like that one year, um, he lived down the street and he let me. He'd, he'd re- recorded a bunch of movies off of like HBO or Cinemax or whatever, I guess. Okay. And yeah. so it must have been playing on that 
um, and he recorded a few. And so he, he basically just let me borrow a tape with a couple of different movies on him. And Train Spotting was one of them. Another one was A Life Less Ordinary, which is mm-hmm. another Danny Boyle movie with Ewan McGregor, um, which is I thought it was hilarious. I think it still holds up, but uh, oh, I think so too. Transporting. Are you, have you seen a life less ordinary? I have seen a life less ordinary. Yeah, it, it's funny okay. that train spotting is the one I haven't because I've seen a life less ordinary. I've seen the beach. I've seen twenty eight days later. I've seen sunshine, but mm-hmm. for some reason, train spotting was the one like blind spot. It's like it's like being a fan of Guy Ritchie but not seeing Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, like the movie that put him on the map. Um, yeah, somehow did just it's how it went down, but. Yeah, it is what it is. So, so he gave you a tape, and it had Train Spotting and a Life Less Ordinary on it. That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, double feature. There must have been, there must have been something. I can't. There must have been something else on there because I, I don't think I had heard of either of those movies. Mm-hmm. And he just let me borrow a few. And I mean, I guess at that point, this was before I had any interest in like going to film school or like looking into movies as sure. a potential career or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I'd always enjoyed watching them. Um, so I don't know, maybe it was just cause it was my own little thing I could do in my room and nobody else was really into them. Yeah. You know, having siblings, it was nice to have my own little identity. So <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to say this right out of the gate. Uh, this movie is really good. However, yeah. I may not ever watch it again. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, not, it is not an easy watch. Um, there are parts of it that are tougher than others. It's not quite to the level of like, I, I've said this about monster many times um, mm-hmm. with, with Charlize Theron, like that movie is phenomenal and I have no desire to ever watch it again because it's just rough from start to finish. Requiem um, for a dream. Requiem like for a dream for me as well. Yep. Yeah, that's another one. Um, this movie had, I could watch parts of it again and not have any trouble. Um, but there's, there are scenes that I would probably uh, skip. And I'm not one to skip movie uh, scenes in movies, but it's it, it is an uncompromising movie. I think is is probably the way that I would put it. It doesn't pull punches. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It's rough to view um, because of the subject matter. It it, it all centers around uh, you know heroin addiction essentially, um, mm-hmm. and and kind of just how how difficult that is to get out of, but also the way it can affect your life and. Having never been addicted to heroin, obviously, I don't have a frame of reference for that. But but the uncompromising view, uh, the way that they do stuff. Plus, Danny Boyle has this way of making making films with with really difficult to watch situations that you just can't stop watching. Um, yeah, you know, I think of like Sunshine is probably the least of those, and it's still like it goes to a lot of weird places and it's kind of crazy. 28 days later has these moments where you're just like, man, I don't, I don't want to see any more of this, but I can't stop watching it. Um, but this movie had not only really difficult scenes to watch, but then just, just like, I think my first note when I was watching it is, yeah, the toilet scene is supposed to be gross, but, <laughs> but boy, is it like extra gross. Like yeah, it's visceral. You can taste that scene and I don't like that taste at all. Yeah. it That's one of those, <sighs> It's one of those things where uh, I remember ages ago talking with a friend about how like there's there's movies that everyone goes and sees and then nobody really talks about. And then there's movies that you see once and everybody talks about for the rest of their life or whatever. And this mm-hmm. is one of those movies that 
you can just name a scene or a shot and people are like, oh, you're you're back there. It was so effective the way they did it. Um, that might have been what got me into this in the first place is I think when this came out, like MTV Movie Awards, I had seen a clip of something because they showed how they had done that toilet yeah. scene where he was climbing out of it. And I thought I was like, what is this movie? And <laughs> that, that might have been what my, my tease was for it. But yeah, um, it, what getting to what you were saying about not watching it again i've i have started the movie multiple times i would throw it on when i was doing the dishes every now and then and maybe watch the first 30 minutes of it when you know he meets up with diane and basically that first 30 minutes is like a really enjoyable solid chunk Mm -hmm. and then it starts to well i was gonna say progress but it kind of regresses into it's effective in showing like the the fun and the appeal of something and then the withdrawal and all of the stuff you have to deal with making the choices to go back to it because you're feeling life again there's i mean there's a shot of mark i think they're they're at the bingo hall or whatever but like the camera's pulling back and everyone's moving around him quickly and he's just bored he's talking about the depression sets in and this sets in and it's like i mean so you get you get that sense of uh like the addiction calling and clawing at you and trying to bring you back in. Yeah. And, and the cast in this movie is unbelievably good. Um, not only the names that they are and kind of the careers that they have had after, but their performances in this movie itself are, are super effective. I mean, Ewan McGregor, I've said this many times, um, in conversations and on this show, uh, when I did, um, we covered uh, uh, Dr. Sleep a while back and um, mm-hmm. uh, some other movies that he's been in. I'll watch him in anything. Like, he's just phenomenal. Uh, he yeah. has this way of even... Did you see Birds of Prey? Yes. He he is the, a... The movie, ter- yeah. Yes. His character is a terrible person in that movie. And yet, I, I, I also find myself like, but it's Ewan McGregor and he's so damn charming and I can't help but like him... But then he does these horrible things. You're like, oh god, it just makes you makes your skin crawl. Like he's so good at doing both of those things, and he's just such a charming actor that he's great yeah. to see. And this was cool to see him at a young age. This is because I I loved him in Life Less Ordinary, um, and this is the year before that. But then also like he has this way of again being likable while also. At the same time, you're just like, I just want to slap some sense into him because he keeps going back to the to to the heroin. You see the um, the addiction in him, but you see, mm. I think the other thing is this movie does addiction in different ways, and so you see kind of how how it affects people differently. Like Kevin McKidd's character, Tommy, in this, yeah, oh boy, he had the the roughest. I mean, he and Sick Boy have probably the roughest arc, um, although. We'll get to Sick Boy in a minute because I have some thoughts on that. But like Tommy, start the the start of the movie, he's like he's the fitness guy. He's the one that's always working out and he's he's trying to stay in shape and he doesn't he doesn't do the the heroin or, or any of that kind of stuff. And to watch him you always got the truth from Tommy. Yes, and then to watch him fall the way that he did and him lose his girlfriend over uh, an issue that Renton did to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, Which is, I think that's, I think that's one of the symptomatic things about the movie is, it's not 
like you see a lot of movies and it's about a group of people and it's kind of like what are the external things that are affecting this group of people and this you're seeing how one member's cause is the other person's effect and how Mm -hmm. you know mark was just bored and he's like swapped the tapes and it's part of the funny bit in the beginning and it's like oh there's consequences for this stuff but you're just having a good time you're not thinking about that yep seeing how they're all interacting and i know we're going to get to him but like Begbie feels like, why is he even in this movie? He's not part of any of the rest of this. Oh, he's a mate. You got it, you know. And I think we all have that mate that we just put up with because they're a mate. We've known him for so long, and nobody mm-hmm. else is going to take him. And right, but, but it's like then you, you there are consequences to take making those choices too. So yeah, but I'll go back to yeah, go back to what you're saying. But yeah, I, no, you're you're hitting it right on the head. The 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 cause and effect of everything in this movie is what makes it a rough thing to watch when you start to really analyze it. You start to really think about it. Like again, Renton is not a, he's a likable character and Ewan McGregor makes him likable, but then he does something that effectively ruins Tommy's life. Not directly, but it's the, it's the catalyst. It's the spark that starts it because he loses his girlfriend that makes him that puts him in this point and then when he tries heroin because he's just down and he's depressed and he doesn't know what else to do he gets so hooked on it and then on top of that with the sharing needles he ends up with uh hiv like what happened to tommy was just so tragic in this and kevin mckid is so good and i didn't realize that this was an early movie for him um he's he's the one that like i i know most of these actors by name because mm-hmm. they've gone on to so many other things ewan bremner who played spud he, he pops up in movies he was in wonder woman yeah oh yeah he, he's he w- he's been in a bunch of movies and every time i see him in something i'm like oh hey it's spud but he was in black hawk down and i didn't register it at the time uh but mm-hmm. kevin mckid's one of the few that he lo- he's filled out more he looks mm-hmm. very thin in this movie so I, I didn't recognize him plus his hair is shaggy yeah um but he's the one that I can never remember the name of. But everybody else, they, they've, they've all gone on to big things. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you and Bremner, you mentioned Spud. He's, I love him. He's just, he, I mean, sh- literally showing up in, in anything and everything. You mentioned Wonder Woman. Uh, uh, he's in Black Hawk Down, as is Ewan, Bre- uh, Ewan McGregor. Um, mm-hmm. he, I mean, Ewan Bremner's in Alien versus Predator. You know, he shows up in... Uh, the movie, uh, the rundown with the rock and Sean William Scott, like he's just, he's in so many things and he, he's just great. And in this, he's probably, I mean, he, he's the one redeemable character overall in the movie is spud because he just sort of doesn't know any better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's the, well, it's interesting. Yeah. He's the well, I I guess, closest to the innocent you can have in the in this movie. It feels like. Yeah, I was. I've been. I've been watching things more analytically recently, and I, obviously, you know, Mark is the main character of the book, which you know, this is mm-hmm. based on a book. Yeah. Um, and so it makes sense to have him like center of the frame in a lot of the shots. But I was thinking about. I, I, I would have to go back and actually track it, but just thinking about like. If you had Mark in the center and then the other characters kind of like as a chart, you've kind of got like the innocence, not like the drug innocence of Tommy on one end. And then you've got like the 
naivete in a sense, but is on drugs of Spud. Yep. And then on the opposite sides of those, you've got Begbie, who isn't into drugs and is kind of just a jerk. Or I mean, there's far worse words that would be more oh, effective. Yeah. Um, and then you have Tommy, who has not Tommy, um, Sick Boy, on the opposite axis of like Spud, like the drug user, who's like, yeah, I can get on and off it just to you know mess with you. And Mark's kind of in between all of them, um, mm-hmm. and you, so you you can really hit the, the different notes and. You know, when you get into the latter part of the film, you know, it's not Tommy and Spud who come. I mean, honestly, now that I think about it, yeah, Spud's, Spud ends up going to jail. Spoilers for the movie if anybody hasn't seen it. <laughs> um, Spud goes to jail and Tommy gets sick and ends up dying. And it's, you know, the two alphas, I guess, of that dynamic, Sick Boy and Begbie, are the ones that they're, they're like predatorily like coming after Mark when he moves to London. Yeah, you know, but the other ones end up being more victims of what happens than active. They're active participants, but they're not driving forces, I guess. Right. Yeah, naivete, I think, is a perfect word for Spud. Like he, he is just the naive one. He's there. Um, he's kind. He kind of has the feel like almost like somebody's little brother or little cousin that tags along and then eventually just becomes part of the group because he's always there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he goes to jail, he gets out. I do like how, uh, Renton leaves him stuff at the end. Like he gets a little upliftment, um, which is kind of nice. So, and, yeah. and again, it's Ewan Bremner and he's just, he's such, all these actors are so charismatic. You know, you bring up Begbie, Robert Carlyle is Begbie and he, a jerk is the word for it, but he's a, he's just a total dick. He is the, like just this mean, angry person. He's self-loathing. So he then projects that out on everyone else, um, and he's quick he, to start. He does people. He does yeah. people. He doesn't do drugs. He does people. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and he he he's quick to fight. He's quick to uh, to anger in in all sorts of situations. He's always kind of overemphasizing how tough he is and all of this. He's a terrible, terrible person. But again, it's Robert Carlyle. So you're sort of it's almost like you're roped in by his performance as. I get a little bit of how this guy could be part of this group and keep them around through both uh, just a, a charm and charisma that he has when he's in a good mood and also sort of fear uh, at the same time. Like they're yeah. afraid because he could snap at any moment and really do some damage um, because they've seen him do it to just random people. So, you know, yeah. I get that. But like Robert Carlyle, again, just a, phenomenal performance he's so good in that everybody is johnny lee miller is sick boy who by the way was the only member of the main cast not scottish um, pulls it off very well I he thought. does well he does accents well i mean i didn't so i didn't see this movie when it came out but he had done hackers the year before this and it wasn't until several years later i think when i saw him in dracula 2000 when oh, I finally yeah. realized, because at that point I looked him up and I found out, oh, oh, he's English. I didn't know that. He did such a good, to me, such a good American accent in Hackers that I didn't even realize that he was, he was uh, English. Yeah. So, so but, by the time he does elementary, he's just using his own accent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And, and, and him as Sick Boy, again, you brought up uh, Sick Boy is this, like, <laughs> I love the... 
okay, love isn't the right word, but it's fascinating <laughs> to me this idea that he can just, yeah, I'll just get off heroin for a little while, you know, because I can, and I'll go back on it. I don't care. I, you know, he messes with people in that way. Like he, and uh, there's just something about him. Now, he has arguably the most devastating moment in the entire movie, which is saying a lot. Yeah. Um, and it, and it is, it, um, let's see. So, okay. In my notes, I had put, uh, the toilet scene is supposed to be gross, but damn, this is rough. Um, followed up <laughs> the next, the next line was, okay, no, the scene with the sheets is worse than the toilet. Um, cause that was, that was horrible. Uh, where he comes out, uh, um, spud comes out with the sheets and the, the mother yeah. is trying to wrestle them from him. And, you know, he, uh, no, thanks. No, and thanks. Again, I didn't the way, that. the way that Annie Boyle puts all of that together and like, Oh, we've got beans and sausages and stuff. Oh. just like, Oh no, I can't do any of this. No, he, Danny Boyle, very effective in his cinematography. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is a very visual movie. It's almost like, not like a fun house, but it's like, you know, there, he does so much with the camera. Uh, it, and there's a lot of practical effects. This is pre CGI and it's the eighties, mm-hmm. obviously so like, you know, videotapes and no cell phones or any of that either, but yeah, well, you know, work is what you have. Well, it was made in the nineties, but it takes place in the eighties. Oh, that's true. The yeah, story yeah. takes place. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then the, the, the baby, I'm going to touch on this a little bit because man, baby Dawn. I yep. could see it coming. You knew something was going to happen. It was like Chekhov's baby. You showed the baby early on. It's like something bad is, is going to happen to that baby because this this child, this infant, is in the presence of a bunch of smackheads. And they're, this is, like neglect alone is going to do something. Man, that scene was just heart-wrenching. And yeah. one one of the trivia pieces I read was like, well, it's heavily implied that Sick Boy was the father, but it's never really said. Like, no, they just flat out said it. Like... I is yeah. his reaction alone is enough to know that that was his baby, but that that yeah, scene is so rough because of the way that it it evolves and the way that everything unfolds in it, uh, and then for the mother's reaction to be what it was because as an addict she doesn't know what to do now. Yeah. And, oh, and I, I don't oh. know that we I don't know that we see her much after that. No, I don't um, think I don't think we do at all. Be. But I mean, I I guess I, I I there's I guess there's like different phases of the movie. So like the beginning, it's fun. There's more upbeat stuff. You know, you see the baby crawling around, and it's like, why is this baby in this place? Obviously, um, but like nobody, it didn't get the sense that the baby was being this is. Apologies to parents out there. I don't feel like the baby was so much neglected. I feel like they still had an awareness of the baby early in the movie. Mm-hmm. When, but like by the time that the that dawn passed, um, they had all just like given up completely. Yeah, even to the point that like you know, sick boy just says say something, and Mark's like I'm just gonna hit up, and then Allison, who had been screaming for unknown amount of time about the loss of her child completely pulls it together and like, Oh, give us a hit. And it's like, Oh yeah, obviously she's going to get a hit, but not after I get, not until I get mine first, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, just, it. I think 
I mean, it's like, how do you tell somebody what, how do you convey to somebody what drug addiction is or what these experiences are and, and without putting you through it? Uh, I think I, I was commenting to somebody about another thing. And I said, it's, it's a type of, it's like a joke that you don't know, that you don't get, but it's like for you to understand the joke, you would have to go through some really serious things that no, you would never wish on anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's like really, really dark humor stuff. Um, not that this was, but I'm just, I, I'm a, I'm losing my train here. Um, <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. All I right. just, it's, it's, uh, yeah, he, he, he ties it to, I mean, I, I haven't read the book, um, but Irvine Welsh, who also played Mikey Forrester, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which I thought was really cool that that was Irvin Welsh. I did not realize that. Uh, yeah, the, the, his little like his his whole character in the movie is just kind of like, why would you ever talk to this guy? This guy's a <laughs> what? this guy's an idiot. This is yeah. the C tier, not even B tier. Right. Yeah. But it's like he's the writer of the book. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know how much of it directly translated from the book. But like, obviously, you see a baby in this situation stands out and then the loss of the child and even, even people who haven't had a kid, like mm-hmm. you're going to resonate with that. And then to show how quickly you turn back around, just, just as quickly as mother superior. Uh, what's his name? Kevin Mullen. No, not Kevin. It, Mullen's his last name. Rich Mullen. Oh, Peter Mullen. Oh, Peter Mullen. Yeah. Um, who's been in a bunch of other things too. Um, he, he's there supporting everybody and, a nice happy guy and then as soon as mark like sinks into the carpet it's like okay yep i'm just gonna put you in a car and then they can take you yeah which is effectively his way of taking care of them but like maintaining that personal boundary of i'm not getting in trouble for this even though i'm the one that's been providing it and seeing the way that characters flip so quickly really like emphasizes the addiction sense of it. Like what you're, what you're trying to do and what you're going to do, what you know you're going to do because of this thing that you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see that with Begbie and sick boy and the way that they treat Renton. Um, and like you said, kind of stalking him to London and, and all of the, cause that, that part of the movie is another one of those where it's like, it's, it's rough to watch just because you're seeing these people and this is Renton trying to pull himself out of things. And he just yeah. can't stay away from it. And no matter what he does, these, uh, you know, some of these people just won't let him get away from it. And then the thing that finally brings them all back together is, of course, Tommy passing. Um, and it's it's rough. And I we haven't even talked about Diane yet. Uh, Kelly McDonald. <laughs> Kelly McDonald, oh. who I think has my favorite line in the whole movie. I I I I, I don a Scottish accent every now and then. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I dabble with accents. I'm just. I guess I mimic the things they hear in movies, but sure. her line when Mark approaches her and she's like, you've never tried this before. And, but there's one little bit of it where she's like a little bit bad, a little bit like, like whatever, but he don't us girls just love that. And the way that T <laughs> just drops out of that, but he like that yep. stuck with me. And I'm like, Kelly McDonald is brilliant. And this is her first movie. I know and nails it. And Oh, she's so good. Not only her first movie, but she was only uh, 19 years old when she made mm-hmm. this, too. Like, So she was young. It was her first movie. Another one that I actually recognized from a different movie um, and didn't realize until after I had seen um, 
No Country for Old Men that she was Scottish because um, she, right. she does a really good kind of uh, Texas accent in No Country for Old Men, but she's Merida in Brave. In Man. Brave, yeah. Actually, there's two Braves because was... Kevin McKidd was in Brave too um, as her father, I think. Oh, really? He oh. is in Brave as, uh, yeah, Lord MacGuffin. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, you have a Scottish movie, you're kind of going to pull all the oh, yeah. big Scottish names you can. For so. sure. <laughs> I mean, an American company is making a Scottish movie. <laughs> a Scottish but, company probably would use different people, but yeah. And and she's very, very good in this movie. I have to say that. Mm-hmm. For her first film, she's good. Her, her character's not on screen a ton, but again, she's another one who isn't purely innocent. She, she knowingly is going out as a high school student um, out to these clubs and, uh, and brings Renton back home. Uh, which is a weird scene in itself. Um, yeah. <laughs> just the way that whole thing plays out. Uh, it's great when when Mark sits down to eat breakfast with her parents and is like, oh, you were flatmates? <laughs> well, I'll like, remember that one. Yeah, yeah I mean, just, just blissfully unaware of anything going on um, after he woke up on that couch, which couldn't have been comfortable. Yeah. But, no. but she is... In the middle is, of that hallway. Geez. Yeah. Just a couch That's in the like, hallway. It's like a storage unit, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I mean, Kelly McDonald is really, really good in this. Um, and it, what I did like was while she knowingly do, you know, um, goes out to the club and then brings a guy home who's a few years older than her, she's still in high school, she then is actually trying to help him kind of turn his life around a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and for it to all go sideways on him is just... It, it's rough. I know there's a sequel to this that I, I feel as though I, I, I'm not sure if I want to watch it or not. Have you seen the sequel? I have. And it's actually, it's interesting talking, trying to talk about this without referencing that. Cause there's little <laughs> things in that, which again, it's based off the follow-up novel to this, mm-hmm. uh, which is called porno, which is basically the, the gang starts making porn videos, I guess. Oh. Um, but uh, the, the second movie, definitely not as iconic as the first one. It's mm-hmm. less, there's less visual creativeness. Um, it's more of a direct, like, regular movie, I think. But okay. um, I'd say it's worth checking out. It's definitely not as rough around the edges, like, indie grunge style as, as this was. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a good follow-up companion to this. Um there's there's little things like there's a, they mention I think Bagby's character is is older than the, the rest of them I think he stayed back a year and that's why he's older because he was not smart he's like street smart not book smart so like these right. guys were just coming up they were kids and he was almost an adult and you know kind of just caught up in the wave of them um, and there's there's little things here and there um, there's there's an illusion that Spud is actually Irvine Welsh in the movie hmm. whereas you would think mark would be but i think mark just works as like a central character so i, I again i don't know i haven't read any interviews i haven't read the books but um hmm. it's worth if you if you leave the first movie thinking all right mark did his thing and he screwed him over but he left spud some money and he's on to make his new life if you left it at that great but okay. if you wanted to continue that conversation and see 
literally picks up with like where are they now in a sense and you know there's some hijinks and some shenanigans but they're still doing the same games they're still picking at each other and fighting and in yeah so it's huh. it's just the evolution of that stuff there's actually i mean not to not to spoil it but there's a moment in the second movie where uh mark and spud are having a conversation and even spud's upset about what mark did mm -hmm. and mark's like well i left you your share it's like yeah but i i had a I was on Skag. I was. I had a drug habit. Well, I, I blew that in the first week. What do you think <laughs> I was going to do with it? It's like, oh, you know, you, so he thought he was doing something good, but it's like, it's yeah. only as good as person getting it, you, you know, so mm -hmm. kind of like, yeah. It, and, yeah. And going back to Diane for a second, I know my axis theory, I'm thinking about how if you've got Begbie and Sick Boy on the, like, more dominant, like, taking like being able to push mark around mm -hmm. and then tommy and spud on the opposite side being like the followers in a sense um yeah. or the the victims of things diane as much as i like kelly mcdonald and i think her character's very interesting she is definitely more of a dominant aspect i mean straight oh, up sure. from the beginning you know so she's on that side of it and i would say probably lizzie tommy's girlfriend's because mm -hmm. of Mark's actions, she's a she's a victim of Mark's actions directly because he takes the videotape. Absolutely, and she has no idea anything's going on, and she's mm -hmm. just a, she's just a uh, casualty of his actions. I guess. Yeah, and so then Mark. He, yeah, and Mark's parents are kind of somewhere in the middle because they're not. They try to help. They try to to influence his life, but at the same time, they're also dealing with the fallout of everything that goes on with him. Um, mm. And so, but they do, they're, they're, they're always there for him too. Like they want yeah. the best for him knowing that he's on drugs and he's got this huge problem and he's doing all this stuff, but they still try to support him and try to help him out of it. Um, and I also James Cosmo playing his father. Perfect because James Cosmo is great. Um, like, if you just need a cantankerous old Scottish man, you, you cast James Cosmo. Even in the 90s, he was that already. Uh, and it just, it's just more so uh, the further along it goes. Um, but the fact, the fact, too, that, like, his parents, they end up, uh, real, like, realizing that the rehab isn't working and not, nothing is, so they just lock him in a room and make him go cold turkey and make him go through all the withdrawal. Um is the, the sort of tough love thing that they kind of had to do. And that helped him in the moment. Um, yeah. So that was, you know, it was a net positive, but it couldn't have been easy to do. Um, so plus and that's also, one of the more like, disturbing scenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That will. And again, the way they shoot it, you know, Begbie in the bed sheet and the okay. And then he backs out and Mark's like, where the did he go? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, there's some funny moments in there, but it definitely, they mix all of it together. Um, but thinking about his parents, that's, I, I guess, is, this whole movie is just, you know, having a conversation about addiction mm -hmm. and subtly taps into, you know, I don't pick up on it until now we're talking about it, but thinking about in the opening montage, the whole choose life thing, it cuts to, you know, Begbie saying, no way would I poison my body with that shit. And then his parents... Like, you know, you got to clean yourself up and they're trying to be hard nosed with him, but also 
they're just hiding money under the mattress and like obviously he knows where it's going to be and his mom has medication so if if there's part of it that you could say is if you were really serious about your son's drug addiction and wanting to stop him like you would make more steps to prevent it yeah however i think this the what clinches it for them is it, you know, they they go to court. Spud goes to jail. Mark comes out. They're all singing. They're all happy. It's like, well, I hope you've learned your lesson. And it's like, <laughs> Mark is becoming the dominant factor in that because it's like he knows that oh, they're always going to take me back. Mm-hmm. Like, is, they're always going to be there. I'm always going to be their boy. And it's like, as as far as I walk down this path, as long as I turn back and wave every now and then, it's like I'm right back at the beginning. And 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 the struggle that a family has with somebody in like, you know, if it was your child having an addiction, it's like, you've known them as your child all your life, mm-hmm. all their life. And then it's hard to see them as this other person, Yep. but also knowing that like you feel sympathy and sadness because you know what they were. And so, but again, it's, again, it, it's not up to the parents to like make these decisions for them and they can only do as much as they can, yeah. but locking him in his room was the okay we can do this and yes. it helped but again he's on his own after he comes out of that room so it's true yeah it's just, oh also i did not recognize or realize that gail who isn't in the movie for very long but that's shirley henderson um who you might know better as moaning myrtle from the Harry oh Potter yes films. um <laughs> I, did, I had no clue that was her um so that was that was something. i mean you see it when you think back to it. You're like, oh, yeah, right. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but in the moment, I'm like, I don't know. I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize Kevin McKidd at first in the movie because, like you said, he was a little thinner and he had the the shaggy hair. Um, it took me a while to to figure out that was him. So now this cast is just really good. The movie, again, like I say, it's a good movie, and I think that that it's it's one that uh, is effective and should be seen by people. It's just. It's rough, but Danny Boyle is good at that. And, you know, we talked a little bit about him earlier and I am, I am a fan of Danny Boyle's films. I think that he does something visually interesting in most of his films. Now it's kind of a bummer to hear that T2 is a little less of that just because I feel like there's so much of what makes this movie interesting is in the visuals and in like the the surrealism of some of those visuals because the the whole scene where he's locked in his room and going through the withdrawal is just a fever dream and it's crazy um but even uh, you know we mentioned the toilet thing and just the visuals uh like him sinking into the carpet um all that kind of stuff is is very Danny Boyle feeling and and it's it's one of those where it's like okay I can see how he then sort of evolved this with a life less ordinary. And then the beach, which has some very strange moments in it as well. And Robert Carlyle. And Robert Carlyle. Um, yeah. And then, and then kind of just the way he's evolved as a director. I, I do think his later films, um, I think 28 days later, I think uh, obviously Slumdog Millionaire was a big hit um, uh, are, are maybe better crafted, but you see it's, it's always cool to me to see a director uh, in their early stages and you can just tell like, Oh yeah. When this guy gets some more resources and some more experience under his belt, the stuff that he's going to be able to do 
is just going to be like next level. Um, yeah. It's like seeing an early Edgar Wright movie or, uh, or I mentioned um, Guy Ritchie. Guy, you could see what Guy Ritchie was capable of with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and he just sort of he was able to evolve that for a little while. Now, maybe he got stagnated um, some because I don't think his later stuff is as well received, but still, like, you see that kind of stuff there. And you definitely There's, see that with yeah. us. I, so back when, I, I don't know, I must, I knew Mallrats existed before I knew of any other Kevin Smith movies, but mm-hmm. um, I've always, over the years, I've kind of developed this, like when you, when you find a band that you like, and they're like, oh, here's their first, you know, indie album that came out that, you know, it's before they really refined their sound. And it's like, I kind of am drawn to more of that gritty, real aspect of stuff. Um, and so it's like Kevin Smith has Clerks. Uh, yep. Christopher Nolan has Following, which was pre-Memento, which was a yep. black and white type movie. So it's like, oh, Guy Ritchie has Lockstock. It, like, there are these really rough, like, crystallizations of the, the vision of the director. And then they get known, and then they kind of, they don't become mainstream, but it's like, I always said, I've always had that sense of like, when they didn't have the money, they had to really come up with creative solutions. And once they had the funds and resources, it it's like when you can do everything, you don't have to like really work to find a better way to do it unless you're self-regulating. And so yeah. I, I like that er- the earlier stuff because it's like they're, they're, they're really figuring it out and they're really, you know, yeah, I, and Phil in the chat says it's easy for them to lose their edge, and that that can happen. Uh, a, a perfect example of that is Michael Bay. Michael Bay's early stuff, whether it's uh, Bad Boys or The Rock or some of that stuff that he did when he was really starting out, is very, I feel like, very entertaining movies to watch, and he had a visual style. The problem was that he started making a bunch of money. Studios would throw more money at him, and he kept doing that and what ended up happening was he lost the edge that made him interesting and and started making the same movie over and over you know i think i think like i don't hate on michael bay as a director because i think he has a distinct style and he does his thing but i feel like he peaked with something like the island and after that yeah. he just started making the same thing over and over um, even though the island has a scene from I, I can't remember if the island came first, but there's a scene in the island. It's like a highway chase or whatever. And there's like a shot in it. That's literally from one of his other movies. Probably. Um, that wouldn't surprise me, but, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, he wasn't able to maintain the edge that he had. And, but then, then you see somebody like a, a David Fincher is a, an example of somebody who, um, was able to right because he he is that self-regulating where he he made his name with I mean his first movie is Alien Three which some people <laughs> do like um I you know a lot of the problems with that movie are are studio related as well but it's it's raw it's rough um, but when he goes on and does Seven and Seven is a huge hit and he's mm-hmm. able to I mean it, I watched uh, not that long ago I rewatched Panic Room that's better than people remember it being. Um, on top of doing stuff like Fight Club and the game and and Benjamin Button and kind of all this stuff as he's evolved, um, he's able to maintain his edge, I feel like, a lot better. Um, and it's yeah. not it's not an he's, easy thing to do, but I feel like he's he's 
navigated the trajectory of that one for us one for, like one for me one for you yes like a lot of movie studios have that like okay make make your big superhero movie that makes us a bunch of money and then you can go off and make your little art film that only 100 people will see mm-hmm. and i feel like fincher has married those two well enough he's made their movies with his own like fingerprint on it well enough that it's maintained his distinction while still like i mean the social network I had little to no interest in watching it mm-hmm. when it first came out. I was like, okay, it's Facebook, whatever. But like, I only watched it because of Fincher. Be- yeah. And, and I've really enjoyed it because of Fincher. And same with the girl with the dragon tattoo uh, remake that he did. Mm-hmm. Like basically he's gotten that, he, he, he's got that pass now where it's like, okay, if he's associated with this, I'm going to check it out because I know at least I'm going to gain something visually here. Even if the movie's not, great yeah like um, somehow like, he's gonna he's gonna give me something that i can latch on to in even in a movie where i don't feel like i'm gonna the social network is the perfect example of that like i didn't have any uh interest in watching the the rise of of facebook but it's fincher and he just has this way about him i don't know yeah and it could have been more documentary style like mm-hmm. you know biopic and it, it's very much not it's it's very stylized and, you know danny boyle again Danny Boyle is one of those. He's what's interesting is I don't, I was working at a video store when this came out. Um, One of his movies that I don't think hardly anybody has seen is called millions. And it's basically when the Euro was being created, like they had all of the, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but it was basically Mm -hmm. when the Euro was created, they had all this old currency that was going to basically devalue. And it's like, yeah, you know, as of this date, this money, this currency will no longer be valid. Everything's going to be converted to the Euro. And the premise of the movie was like, there was a train that was bringing this soon to be outdated currency to be destroyed. And like a big stack of it, like falls off a train and these kids find it. And it's an interesting movie, you kind of have to know the context. And I think it only really worked well for its time because obviously, you know, like, like the plot of the movie in two or three days, this isn't going to be relevant anymore, but it's, it was kind of a weird movie to make, but um, it still has that Danny Boyle touch to it. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of like son of Rambo. If you've seen that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The kid that like makes his own version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's got that childlike imaginative stuff. Uh, Yeah. One of his more light movies, I guess. Not as dark as the other ones. Yeah, well, in in the thing with Danny Boyle that I think fascinates me more than anything else is certain directors will make similar films. They'll do a Michael Bay. They'll do a you know they'll they'll be known as horror film directors because that's what they enjoy doing. And then there's some directors I feel like get kind of pigeonholed into making. Uh, I, M. Night Shyamalan to, you know, say what you want about him, but I feel like he, he wrote, he, he, he backed himself into a corner with the sixth sense. It was so popular and it was such a touchstone movie at the time that he locked himself into this. Now I've got to be this, the guy that makes this film. And right. he kept trying to do that over and over. And he eventually has, uh, has sort of tried to break away from it some, but he's still kind of doing that. But, um, Guillermo del Toro is one who uh because we talked about him recently uh off <laughs> off 
uh, yeah. air. But like Del Toro is known for his crazy visuals and for things like Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy and uh, The Devil's Backbone, Chronos, uh, mm. that kind of stuff. And then he can make a straight noir movie like Nightmare Alley. And I went into that movie expecting one thing. And when I came out of it, I didn't have that. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, what I just watched was really good because Guillermo del Toro is really good and he's just able to branch out. I think the thing with Danny Boyle was that he started off doing that. He could have very easily with with train spotting and with how popular train spotting was, he could have kind of pigeonholed himself and been almost a guy Ritchie like director where he's making these you know, these movies that are, are very similar, but he didn't do that. A Life Less Ordinary is not the same type of movie as Train Spotting at all. Right. The, the beach goes in some some weird areas. Then he goes on, he does 28 Days Later, the movie you mentioned, Millions, which I haven't seen, but Millions can't, he makes in between 28 Days Later and Sunshine. So you've got, yeah. like, you've got a, a pseudo-zombie movie with rage uh creatures or whatever you want to however you want to describe 28 days later but it's kind of structured like a, a post-apocalyptic zombie movie then he his next movie he makes is about the this kid finding a bunch of money um in millions and then he comes right back and he makes sunshine which is a, a fantastic sci-fi movie um mm. and I then feel goes, like sunshine but sun just to touch on sunshine oh, for sure. a second. i love oh, sunshine i love sunshine i think it's a great movie i it's it's probably the one I don't know. I feel like that's the it's the least Danny Boyle movie of his movies. Maybe I can see what until you're... like the end of it because the ending of Sunshine kind of takes a turn and that kind of touches into like more typical Danny Boyle stuff. That it felt more like that, but it, yeah, I, the way it was done, it, it's very. It's like I feel like. I don't think anybody could have made the movie the way he did it, but no. I feel like the subject matter of the movie built the structure. Whereas like train spotting and other movies, like if it wasn't him telling it, it wouldn't have been as effective. That's true. That's very true. Um, and then to come off of sunshine and do slumdog millionaire and just start, you know, just like, I'm just going to take home all the Oscars, right? I'm going to make a movie that wins eight <laughs> Oscars. Um, and 127 hours, which is, that's rough. <laughs> let's, let's not beat around the bush. Like that's a, that's a movie designed to be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Which again, I mean, he's got, he's got a record for, I guess if that's his genre is visceral, effective yeah. storytelling. And it's not just like blood and gore. It's like, it makes you feel it on the inside, not just wincing from what you're seeing. Yes. And yeah. I think that's what it is with him is, is his movies. It's the, it's the effect that it has on you. Um, as opposed like, regardless of genre, regardless of it, yeah. if it's a zombie movie or a sci-fi movie or a movie about, uh, you know, heroin addiction, whatever it is, he, he's, he's focusing on, on people and, and that allows him to kind of have this, this wide breadth of films where, I'm sure there are people who saw Slumdog Millionaire who who had no idea whatsoever that he would have made something like 28 Days Later, uh, just a few years earlier. And mm, that's yeah. a testament to to him as a as a creator and as an artist, to uh, because I do I do think that um, and I don't think everybody needs to be that either. I don't think every director needs to branch out 
and do all sorts of different stuff. I think you do, you create the things that are important to you. So, you know, if you're going to be a, a horror film director and that's what you enjoy doing, keep doing that. Like, that's great. I just think Danny Boyle is one of those who he never wants to rest on one thing. He doesn't want to continue. He doesn't want to be known for kind of making this one type of thing. He's just always so interested in, in different things that he comes up with vastly uh, different feeling movies that all have that same kind of effect on you. Yeah, I think I was going to say this earlier when we briefly touched on um, the sequel, T2, mm-hmm. <laughs> not Terminator 2, but uh, <laughs> Train Spotting 2, um, which obviously they weren't going to name it porno. They weren't going to put out a movie right. called porno. Um, but thinking about the differences between those, those two movies, like if somebody had seen T2 without seeing the first one, I don't know why they would, like it would be much easier to sell them on the visuals of the first one. But if they're not into drugs, if they're not in it, the second one isn't dealing with addiction so much. It's dealing with like consequences and choices and stuff. Okay. And so if you're not, if you don't have that drug elements as present or as a prominent, the visual style, like it would be stupid for like, if, if a studio was like, Hey, we want you to make this just like the first one. It's like, well, there's nothing going in. There's no needle going into the arm. So we don't need to represent that with anything. So why am I putting in weird trippy visuals? You know? Okay. So, so it, it it's, and it also they're all, you know, 20 ish years older. So yeah, they're not going to be running around and doing stuff as much as they were before. Um, but it fits the characters because the characters aren't going to be doing that stuff either at that age. So, okay. But yeah, so I guess that I, does, that does a, yeah, that does make more sense than why it would be a different visual style. I would say you're not, you're not gaining anything by watching it, but I don't think you're losing anything from the first one. And I don't think it's, it's, there are a few things that I've watched that uh, it, I can't think of what. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a couple of things that I've watched recently that a lot of people are into. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And I watched it and I'm like, oh, this is very clearly someone was like, hey, let's make a movie where this happens <laughs> and see what it's like. And then when you put it together, you're like, I mean, yeah, it's a movie. We have a runtime and whatever. But like, it was like, sometimes you don't have to do the experiment to know what the outcome is going to be. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to make the experiment. Um, and it, there was a, a recent video I saw about a, it was a game. It was a video game. Um, they were talking about how this race of characters were going to have like these French accents and they were talking about it. And then they did the first previs and the first cinematic where they had these like French accents and they're like, yeah, no, that doesn't work. Like <laughs> as soon as they saw it together, like, nope, we got to, nope, abort. But I feel like there's been productions that people didn't say we should stop doing this because there are, the train's already moving. Um, right. Hmm. And so I, I think T2 is very much, I don't know that it was, he wanted to make it. I, if Irvine Welsh hadn't made a second book, I don't mm-hmm. think Danny Boyle would have made a second movie. Um, but it's kind of like it's giving you a little bit of follow up. It's giving you a sense of aging and our past and where we're coming from and whatever, too. But it's not. It's kind of like a side dish to the main course of train spotting. Okay. All right. So it's it's a little extra seasoning for 
for what the meal was uh, with train spotting. Okay, I can, I can. Yeah, it's I can that get last piece that. of pizza in the box. Like, yeah, I don't need it, but it's there. Eh, whatever. I may watch it at some point, just just because I am curious about what happened to some of these characters and if they're all in there again. Uh, plus, like, it's the actors, right? I love the actors. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, they got the they got them back. Mikey Forrester's in it for a brief scene. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, no, this, this is good. I also did not realize that uh, Danny Boyle did uh, Yesterday, that came out a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't either. Again, I'm curious. It felt like more of a commercial Danny Boyle movie. But yeah, it again, does. it's kind of get that. It's kind of get that aspect of the what if scenario. Like, oh, it's this type of story, but here's my flavor or my twist to it. Mm-hmm. So, no, I I do. I would have think... been curious. Oh, go ahead. Well, he Danny Boyle was up to do um, the most recent James Bond movie. He mm-hmm. was worked and John Hodge, which I believe has worked on most of these movies, with if not all of them, is a screenwriter. Um, They've worked together, and I think I don't know if his like cinematographer has worked with him on all these, but they he's got like his team of people basically. Yeah. Um, and they were working on. He was basically going to direct the movie, and then there was creative differences, which before I mean this is like two years ago before the movie was supposed to come out. Um, listening to people talk about like we don't know what it what the creative differences are, and I'm not going to say anything about No Time to Die because I don't know if people have seen it, but um. I very much would have been interested to see what Danny Boyle did with that story. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been the movie we have now. And I'm curious to see like how he would have shot it. But in, 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 a, in a weird sense, watching it now, even though I like Kerry Joji Fukunawa, like there's a weird sense of like, Oh, it was like, they pulled that, that uh, it's like the, sugar-free version mm, okay. <laughs> of, of James Bond. It's like, oh, okay. You could have had this full flavored visual, interesting. This is still the same thing, but it's like, you're not going to get as much, you know, craziness, I guess. I don't know. No, I, I, I see where you're going with that. I, you know, it, it's, it's all, I mean, one of the things I like about movies is kind of running through those what if scenarios. Those I wonder what this person could have done with that. I wonder what this actor would do in that role or this director taking that over kind of thing. So, you know. Um but yeah, I as far as train spotting goes, I think I do think it's a movie that 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 film buffs especially um should see because I do think it's a it's very interesting filmmaking uh at a very um low budget. This movie was made for Oh, where is it? Uh, 1.5 million pounds um, in 1996, which in 95, 96, that's not much money at all, at all, uh, to make a film with. Um, And they got every ounce they could out of that. Um, Now, it helps when you've got a bunch of actors and they're very young and they're very, you know, new. Um, So you can save some money there. But this... Like from that aspect of things, I think it's an important movie to see. I do think it's a, it's the type of movie that I know many people that I could not show this to, um, just, just yeah. based on the the subject matter, and I just know that they they wouldn't get anything. They wouldn't be able to get past, um, some of the surface level things to kind of dig down into the more the more of the meat of the movie. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because I think if you can process that enough to get down below the surface, there's a lot here that makes you think 
Like I've thought about it. It's almost, I'm almost glad that it took us two extra weeks to, to record this episode because I have been able to kind of chew on a few things and let it roll around in my head a little bit more. Um, yeah. To sort of appreciate what I saw. Uh, again, I still don't know, like there's still scenes that I'm, I'm going to skip if I ever watch the movie again. Um, Cause it's just that kind of movie, but yeah. I'm also very glad that I did finally see it. Um, and, uh, and I, I, I thank you for bringing it, uh, you know, kind of to my attention. Cause I don't know that I would have sought it out without at this point in my life, without, uh, somebody kind of being like, no, you should watch this movie. And, and then having the excuse of, well, you should watch this movie so we can talk about it on a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. so I think it worked out. One last trivia note I did want to say is Ewan Bremner had previously played Renton in a stage adaptation of the novel, uh, according to really? trivia, okay. which I thought was pretty cool too. So, um, yeah, I think overall, I think this is a, a worthwhile movie if you can uh, stomach some of because there's there are difficult things to watch from an emotional standpoint, and then there's just difficult things to watch from like a don't have dinner right before watching the movie standpoint. Um, yeah. Especially uh, beans and um, sausage, because <laughs> yeah. uh, well, and it's uh, just to touch back on it. So I mentioned that I would I, I hadn't seen the movie for a long while, and it was on Netflix, and I throw it on and wash the dishes or whatever. And again, uh, the soundtrack we haven't even touched on that, but the soundtrack mm. for this movie is great. Um, oh, the music's fantastic. But like that first thirty minutes, it's almost wall to wall sound as well, but as I would let it play in the background, not really paying attention to it. There was a part of me like, wait, am I not, am I, am I doing myself in this movie a disservice by only watching the part that's fun at the beginning? <laughs> then I started to realize there's enough, not great stuff in the beginning as well. Mm -hmm. Especially if you've already seen the movie, like when you see the baby crawling around on the floor at the beginning and everyone's happy and it's like, Oh, you know where this is going. Yep. Like, yep. even if, I mean, when you've seen it, you know where it's going. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't just get my thrills off watching this movie. I definitely can watch it in a context of, mm -hmm. yeah. So after seeing that first 30 minutes a couple of times over a few years, I was like, I really got to sit down and finish this movie. And I was surprised the last time I, when I watched the full thing again, I was like, it's only 90 minutes. It's like a tight, 90 minutes it's yeah. very it's very effective and there's so much in each of those scenes and every shot and you can just tell that everyone was putting everything into it and really thinking about it and it works it just it's well oiled it just works you know yep yeah absolutely absolutely and that is one of the the strong points i think where where i mentioned earlier how you can see sort of the ability of danny boyle and what he, if you're watching this without knowing the rest of his filmography, you can say this is a director who will, will make some good films because he did, he, he did make a just nice tight 90, 93 minute runtime and it never drags. It's paced really well. So good. And I have to mention a couple songs because you mentioned the, the soundtrack and man, the music, uh, you got Iggy pop on the, on the soundtrack, lust for life. And, uh, what was his other one that was on here? Night clubbing. Night swimming. Night clubbing, yeah. Uh, nice swimming's REM. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slightly different. Uh, REM, Iggy eh. Pop. Yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, but Blur um, is on here. New Order. Uh, you got Primal Scream. Uh, what was the other one I saw? Uh, Brian Eno. 
Um, it's just, it's good. It's good music all the way through. And it starts off right away with Lust for Life and Iggy Pop and, um, and that opening scene with, you know, the Choose Life and all that. I just, I thought that was a great way to open up the movie. And you're, you're right in that there is sort of like segments, like the first 30 minutes, the middle part um, is a little different. And uh, I can see myself watching the first half hour of this again. Uh, beyond that, yeah, coin flip. <laughs> I might be like, well, you know, I've seen the parts I like. All right, well, we'll, we'll go watch something else now. I mean, so depending it's, on my I mind. think it, 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 I guess it also reflects Mark's relationship with the other characters you know yeah. it's just yeah, these are the guys that we we hang out we do this we do that and then as he starts to kind of come out of it and see people as they are yeah soberly and then he starts to move on in his own and they haven't and there, i mean there's a there's a lot there's a lot of trajectory and arc in this movie it's not just oh let's just see where he goes it's yeah he's actively trying to struggle to get out of the situation and the last the, the end of it when he's like you know the truth is i'm a bad person like like i feel like anybody begbie doesn't begbie feels like oh i'm a good person because i don't do drugs and tommy's like yeah i can kick this anytime i want i'm not that bad of a person but it's like yeah everybody's a little good everybody's a little bad but if you completely deny one of those you're only leaving yourself up you're leaving yourself open to like fall i guess so Absolutely. And I think that's what makes me want to watch the sequel is because Mark having that that realization by the end of the movie, like, no, I'm just a bad person. Like, and, and I know that makes me now want to see, OK, well, what happened to him later on? Um, so, yeah. You know, there's that. But he's too. doing it as I'm a bad person. I'm I am going to do this thing that I morally mm-hmm. know I shouldn't be doing. But he's not doing he's not a bad person to go on to become a bad person. He's doing it with the. Oh yeah, you know the ambition to do something else. You know, just like he moved to London. So yeah, it, absolutely. It's worth seeing the second one. Yeah, um, I do have a couple of of sound clips I got to play because they made they cracked me up <laughs> watching it. Um, there was the choose life, which I just I captured because choose life. I just like the way he says uh, that's Johnny Lee Miller, and I just that's, love the way he says yes. it. Um, but we had uh, <laughs> when when he gets the suppository. Uh, and 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 j- his reaction to it is just might as well have stuck him up my ass, which is what he ended up doing. So, um, which that, when I saw this as a teenager, no idea what that meant. I had obviously, <laughs> you know, I was like a you know sixteen year old kid, didn't know what you know drugs or anything. I live in mm-hmm. Maine. There's not well, I mean, I, there's there's drugs up here, but you know, I didn't have any exposure to that stuff. So I was oh, yeah. like, okay, I don't know what this is, and then didn't realize they were supposed to be up that's where you put them yeah um i loved this exchange this was um this was renton and uh, mother superior uh and it's just it's it it's such a great reaction uh and and i just had to capture it well he's always been lacking in moral fiber he knows a lot about sean connery that's hardly a substitute <laughs> he knows a that's lot so about great. sean connery uh, these so are the good. quotes that bounce around in my head that make me like think scottish and you know, try to try to do a Scottish accent on my own, and it just makes me want to. Uh, anytime somebody's like, "Yeah, he's lacking in moral fiber," or he's you know he's saying something negative about somebody else, just be like, "Yeah, but he knows a lot about Sean Connery." Um, yeah. <laughs> and and finally, this one, the, this one's too good not to have. Uh, and it just it just cracks me up every time. Doesn't it make 
that you're proud to be Scottish. It's shite being Scottish. <laughs> so, so good. good. The of the law. Also, uh, Spud's interview scene is just mm. amazing. Oh, oh, that whole, like, I could have captured that whole thing. Um, and he's, Spud's very, it, Ewan Bremner is not as uh, plastic and malleable in his characters in other movies. But in this, like, he's so animated. Like, he oh, just turns yeah. his head and it's like a cartoon almost. And, <laughs> but it's, like, humanized. It's so, uh, he's so good in that role. He really, really is. The, the more I think about it, the more I, especially that first 30 minutes, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's just, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough watch. And, yeah. and, but I do think it's an effective watch and I'm glad that I saw it. Um, in, in so much as like, even more so than, you know, I talk about like monster or, um, I'm trying to think of another one I saw. Oh, uh, there's a movie I saw years and years ago called man bites dog. Um, that, I never want to see again, um, but it was definitely one that had an effect on me. Um, this is better than that in that the effect this had on me is, um, I don't know how to put it, but like it made me think. This movie made me think about a lot of different things, um, and and not all of them are uh, nihilistic or, or, or make me sad for humanity. So I guess that's a good thing. Right. I, th um, I think having it, I mean, I think it's so tied to when it took place. It's so tied to the yes. AIDS and the AIDS epidemic and all of that. In a sense, like watching it now, like it's, it's effective as a human, mm -hmm. but also it's like you, you're very much aware that you're watching this happen to someone else, but you're feeling it. So yes. you're, which I think is what effective film does it doesn't need to make you feel everything as if you're going to walk out your door and you know this is going to happen but it's like oh okay i definitely had this experience be, be vicariously from this mm -hmm. view and i got what i needed and it's like you're saying you don't know if you ever need to go back to it it's not like i'm rushing to watch it again but you know yeah, yeah. you can watch it and you can get yeah you can get more out of it i think on repeat viewings but again like you said it's not just like requiem for a dream which great soundtrack but i it took me a while before i could even watch keith david in anything else because <laughs> his his very small role in that movie just was so slimy and gringy to me i was like ah uh, yeah yeah um no I'm, I'm with you on that uh but but i did see this i'm very glad that i saw this and thank you for bringing it uh to my attention and for being on the show uh it's been too long since you were on so it was great having you back yeah, and I get my work schedule sorted. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to always be the thing, and it's that, it, you know, it, it is what it is. We're adults. Adulting is tough. Um, but it's it's always great to have you on, uh, and this was a ton of fun. So thank you for that. Um, coming up next week is still a little bit in flux with the Super Bowl. Um, I'm trying to, to sort things out. But I do have, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be finally watching Nobody, um, which I'm very oh, excited yes. to see. Uh, and then uh, it's funny you brought up Kevin Smith. I've got somebody who's never seen Clerks before, and I'm going to show it, uh, show them that for the first time. Nice. Uh, coming up as well. So so that'll be fun. Um, so, yeah, Josh, thank you so much for being on. Uh, this was tons tons of fun, and uh, we'll do it again. Uh, let's, let's not go another year between having you on. Yeah, man, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm looking to start my own, not podcast, but I mean my own, I've been watching things more analytically lately and I've got all these 
thoughts and ideas of like, oh, this is what this is, and this is what that is, and I'm not seeing or hearing anybody else talking about them from that perspective. So I'm like, maybe, maybe, maybe I should start doing this. So I, I'm by the next time I'm on here, I might have my own thing to plug. But you know, absolutely, I gotta start doing something, put something out there. So excellent, that sounds great. Uh, I look forward to uh, giving you a chance to plug that and hearing about it uh, as well. So that'll be cool. Um, yeah. So if you like, uh, this show and you want to participate in the chat room, uh, and be here live, like Ace Tigress, uh, JF DeBeau, Phil Rude's in there tonight, Danny Ora, um, you can do that. I stream live at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis Sunday nights, 8 PM, um, Eastern time is the typical time. If it does change, uh, at all, I do post that to Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at TV's Travis. Um, where I will talk with folks about uh, pretty much anything um, and try to try to post there pretty regularly. And um, also, uh, I do I do a show called Let's Watch Highlander um, uh, on Tuesdays. Uh, I stream that, and then it comes out as a podcast. This show comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, and you can get it at tvstravis.com or search for Wait You Haven't Seen any podcasting platforms. Um, it's uh, it's a if you do listen to it on any of those platforms, if you leave a rating uh, and or a review, that does help the show become more discoverable and easier to find because I gave it a terrible name with punctuation, which was silly, but I'm now 152 episodes in and I can't change it. So, you know, that is what it is. Also, you can go to uh, store.streamelements.com slash Travis and look at merchandise. Uh, I've got, uh, yeah, just some some simple merchandise. Or ko-fi.com slash Travis if you want to uh, f- support the show that way. Um, you can buy me a cup of coffee. Uh, so, yeah, next week is still to be determined, so keep an eye on Twitter for uh, what's coming up with that. I have something working. I'm just waiting to get confirmation back from my potential guest that I'm excited about talking about. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And then of course, nobody and clerks coming up uh, and then we'll start, uh, we'll get into March. So Josh, once again, thank you so much for being on tonight. Uh, this was great fun. And uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that we were able to do it. And we didn't have to push uh, too much further. So. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we got to talk. I was worried like, wait, what am I even going to talk about in this? But just, <laughs> I mean, just two guys talking about movies. It's kind of what it is, you know? <laughs> yep. Once once we get going, it, it flows pretty well. So that's always great. And and like I said, we'll have you on again uh, in, in less than a year. All right. We won't go another year. Sounds good. All right. Well, as, as always, folks, uh, I do like to say to enjoy your movies. And um, we're coming into spring. You're going to be able to get outside. So be excellent to each other. you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>